Our promise this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, if you'll turn with me uh, to that passage of Scripture. It says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, for they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint, the sole of your foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it for bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softening with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in the vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom, and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from the deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Our Heavenly Father, there's something about the power of these words that catches us this morning. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work deeply so that we would hear your voice afresh this morning. We pray this in your name. 
Amen. We've established over time that I like nicknames. We've also established over time that I've never really had a really cool nickname, and we've talked about that before. But I think one of the categories of nicknames that's a really cool nickname is express. There's a couple different variations of the express. There's the Orient Express, which is a train that goes from Istanbul to Paris, which is mostly famous for, well, for murder mysteries that happen on it. So you might want to bypass uh, that one. There is the Ryan Express. That's the nickname for Nolan Ryan and his 100-plus mile-an-hour fastball. There's the Elmira Express, uh, the, nickname, uh, the nickname for Ernie Davis, the great Syracuse running back. But I think as we head into a campaign season, I think about John McCain's campaign bus, the Straight Talk Express. I like a good nickname. I think Isaiah chapter 1 has got a little Straight Talk Express in it, doesn't it? Isaiah chapter 1 just kind of lays this out, and Isaiah just really kind of pours out this wow, particularly when you think about it, This is chapter (laughs) 1. This is Isaiah saying, hello. This is Isaiah saying, let's warm everybody up a little bit. This is the boom that Isaiah does in the opening words. Now, the truth of the matter is, it's not Isaiah. He's just recording the word that God gave to him. And you can get this sense of Isaiah writing this stuff down as fast as he can. The, the, the passage peaks there at the end where we, where we finished, in verse 18. It says, though your sins be as scarlet, though your sins be as crimson. We, we, we use red when we want to highlight something. Artists splash a brushstroke of red. Sometimes a photographer will make a, an image black and white, but they'll highlight something there in red. If you're stuck out in the ocean and your boat is, is no longer capable of moving, you'll send up a flare, and that flare will be red because it stands out. It's obvious. It's hard to miss. And our God says to us, your sins are as scarlet, and they are impossible possible to miss. Listen to what he has said here in this passage. He says in verses 2 and 3, he says, you have rebelled against me. He says in verses 2 and 3, he says, children I've reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. He says, listen, an ox at least knows when the owner who feeds them shows up. But my children who I've reared are still in rebellion against me. He says in verse 4 that you are a sinful nation and you are laden with iniquity. You see this, this burden that we're carrying and we can barely stand up straight because of all of the sin that is weighing us down. He says in verses 5 and 6 that we are sick all the way through. Listen, if your doctor gave you this diagnosis, it would be disturbing. Listen to it in verses 5 and 6. He says, your whole head is sick. Your whole heart is faint. From the sole of your foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. And if he hadn't gotten the attention of Israel, if he hadn't gotten the attention of us yet, he says in verses 10 and 11, you know who you remind me of? 
Sodom and Gomorrah. Though your sins be as scarlet. At the heart of all this is sin. Now we can call it different things. Iniquity, rebellion, evil, corrupt hearts. It's funny, we, we live in an age that we struggle with the word sin. In fact, Google has a feature that you can look up and, and see the history of the usage of the word. And if you Google the history of the, of the usage of the word sin, it's up here and then it comes down here. It just drops off the face of the earth. Now, there's an interesting little thing. Some of you might Google it. Uh, it actually, sin is making a comeback. I don't know exactly how to read that, uh, but, but sin is making a comeback. But, but I would tell you that, that I understand that because I would tell you that we live in a sin-crazed world. And I don't just mean that in terms of everybody's doing something wrong, but if we understand sin to mean that which is truly wrong, we're very concerned about sin. The problem is, is that most of the time when we talk about sin, our de definition of sin is things other people do. That's what sin is. We understand the sin is all over the place. It's over there, and it's over there, and it's over there, and it's over there. And look at those people. Those and we can so easily see the sins of others. In fact, I might talk behind somebody's back. It's not really that big a deal. But if you talk behind my back, well, that's sin. Every once in a while, somebody might step out on a relationship it happens. It's no big deal. But if someone steps out on my relationship, oh, that's a sin. In fact, I would even tell you that after two weeks of political conventions, it has come down to a comparison between which national sins we decide to worry about and which ones we decide aren't really that important. We're sin crazed. We, we, we so easily identify what someone else is doing that is wrong. But what if instead of listening to our own voices, we listen to the voice of God? Well, what if instead of listening to our own preferences, and what if we, instead of listening to kind of bending the idea of what's right and wrong around what I'm already doing, the, the old idea of the guy that had the barn that had all the arrows right in the middle of the bullseye, how do you do that? Well, I shoot the arrow, then I paint the bullseye around it. That's what we do as a culture. What if we listen to what God said? What we might hear is some straight talk that sounds like Isaiah chapter 1. Let me tell you, we have a problem with sin. And we have a problem with unrepentant sin. Because let me tell you what happens, is that what happens with sin is that when we don't repent, our hearts get harder and harder and harder. And we find ourselves in some unbelievable places that because we've refused to repent, we've defended and protected 
and excused. And if someone had seen where we are today and just dropped us there and said, this is where you are, we looked, well, I could never get there. But when we live unrepentantly, we get harder and harder and harder and find ourselves further and further away from God. God even says, though your sins are as scarlet, they're impossible to miss. It gets to the point that he says your religion is worthless. You see, that's our reflexes. Well, I know that I've done a couple of things wrong, so I try to do a couple of things right. And he begins to talk about the fact that they were trampling in to the temple to worship. Well, we'd like it if folks were trampling into church, wouldn't we? Packed house. He says, I'm tired of all these people trampling into our church. What? He said, I'm tired of all these offerings. Who gave you the idea that I needed all of these blood offerings? He says, it's gotten to the place that your sins are scarlet. Your hearts are so hard that when you pray, I hold up my hand. I got to tell you, I don't know what to do with that. But I got to take it seriously because of what it says here. He says it gets to the point that your sins are scarlet so much that he says your religion is worthless. Your sacrifices, your worship, even your prayers I have no place for. Our sin, your sin, my sin has completely broken the relationship with God. My sins are like scarlet and they cannot be ignored. Well, that's been a downer. But here's the promise. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, as obvious, as standout, as as ridiculous as they are and as broken they have made the relationship between you and God he says though your sins be as scarlet I will make them white as snow I will make them white as wool the promise of God is that he will heal your greatest need now that promise does not resonate inside of our hearts if we don't spend time in Isaiah chapter 1 If we don't repent, then this promise is beyond our reach. If we don't repent, then we cannot be strengthened and enlivened and rescued by this promise. 
But so often we spend time thinking that sins are things that other people do. And we think that repentance is things that other people should do. But it's for us. It is for us. And the promise of God is that he will heal our greatest need, the redness, the crimsonness, the scarletness of my sin, of your sin, of our sin. How does he do that? How does that healing come from? That brings us to the table. Because Jesus gathered in the upper room with his disciples, broke the bread and the cup, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks to them, saying, drink all of it, drink it, all of you. Hear me, hear me, hear me. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's how. You see, our reflex is, first of all, to try to ignore our sin and say it's not really there. Our second reflex is to say, well, other people's sin is not really that big a deal. And then our third reflex is, well, I'm going to even the scales. It's impossible. It's like pushing back the ocean. It's impossible. But he says, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as snow. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus as he sits before his disciples and he says, this is my body, this is my blood that is broken and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So that Jesus is the one that provides that forgiveness. In just a moment or two, we're gonna come to the table metaphorically we're going to come to the table and we're going to celebrate this cup and this bread and the reason why it matters is because a church is a gathering of people whose sins were as scarlet but through what Jesus did on the cross we are now as white as snow and so when we come to this table and we talk about the bread and we talk about the cup, we use the term celebrate the Lord's Supper. Well, the reason why it's a celebration is that before the cross, my sins were as scarlet, and after the cross, my sins are white as snow. We celebrate this with enthusiasm because this is a room that has so many folks that have experienced that journey. But we also celebrate this because the invitation remains for a person whose sins are as scarlet to be forgiven for all of eternity, 
Not because they've evened the scales. Not because they brought supplies for hurricane relief. Not because they worshiped and stood up with their arms in the air and their eyes closed and they were the best worshiper in the room. But they are forgiven because Jesus gave his body and his blood for us. Thank you.